Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, market share wars with Aperture and Lightroom, the French want you to label your photos, and Scott Bourne jumps the broom with Lightroom, sort of. All that and more coming your way next in episode number 110 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. Today is a kind of a special show because we've got Mr. Ron Brinkman with two N's sitting directly across from me in the Twit Cottage. Hey, Ron. In studio. This is a, hey. that is special. Yeah, it is special. Oh, you know, we commuted them together. You know, Ron is hanging out in San Francisco. I saw him on the side of the road, and <laughs> hey, uh, I scooped him up. And we'll we... podcast for food. The sign I had up, <laughs> it worked apparently. Although I haven't seen the food yet, but yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. And also on the show is Mr. Steve Simon coming to us from New York. Hey, Steve. Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey Steve, remember this is audio as well, so people can't see you doing the gestures. <laughs> Ah, uh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So if you're going to do right. that, you need to, you know, sort of illustrate. I should that really, you're I should really uh, save it for a fact. That was kind of a weak moment to. It was do the glass. It, and of course, everybody, that, everybody that's listening doesn't know what the gesture is, so they think he's throwing up gang signs or something. <laughs> Just for the people that are listening on the recorded version of Twips, Steve is practicing his surprise look. He has some glasses and he pulls them off and looks surprised into the camera, but uh, his t- his timing's off a little bit. <laughs> I'm working on it. And also our special guest coming in, has been on the show in a while, is Nicole Z coming in from Utah. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Fred. How is Long life? Long time no see. Uh, yeah, I just saw you a couple days ago. We were hanging out <laughs> yeah. in, we were hanging out in uh, Photoshop World together, actually. Yeah. You going to talk about Photoshop World? I am going to talk about Photoshop World Good. a little bit. And I'm also going to talk about some new gear that Nicole happened to come <laughs> into possession of. What is it, Nicole? I have a Canon 7D. Wow. Like one of the few hot Canon 70s. Yeah, it just started shipping like two or three days it's, ago. And uh, she oh, now has that. one. She's holding it up to the camera. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and for those who don't know, Nicole uh, is a Nikon shooter and is proving single-handedly that it, it's not about the camera. It's about the photographer. You can shoot with whatever you want to shoot with as long as you're shooting. Right, Nicole? That's right. I am not planning on doing anything with my Nikon gear as far as giving it away. I'm keeping it all. I have a few cameras on my wish list right now that are still Nikon, so I'm going to try and shoot both. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Much yeah. to the chagrin of the the Nikon and Canon marketers, <laughs> yeah. not so much. So, about you, the so you were just looking for an excuse to buy a whole lot of extra lenses? Is that it? Uh, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> All right, a quick nod to our sponsor. Um, Today, this week in photography, TWIP is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. If you'd like a free trial and 10% off your new account, head over to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP and enter the offer code TWIP. And we're also brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. If you'd like a free audiobook of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com 
forward slash twip. And in the news today, um, first thing off is there's a, it's B&H Photo, the mecca of all things retail digital photography, you know, some would say, is closed today. Steve, why are they closed? They're right in your neighborhood, right? Why, why are they closed? Uh, yes, they are, as is Adorama, because um, both companies are run by very Hasidic Jews, and uh, it's the Festival of Sukkot, which I think goes on for about a week. And uh, so if you were planning on going to B&H or Adorama this week, uh, you're, you're out of luck. Yeah, so if you were if you were lusting after buying that 7D that Nicole has from B&H, you are you're not going to buy. It. And their website is down as well this week, right? It's not just the it's not hey, just the physical off, retail when they, place. When they take a vacate, when they have when they they take their holiday seriously, and uh, I am of the Jewish faith, but not as religious as 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 they as they are. But uh, yeah, they're they're they shut it down during the big holidays. So. That's amazing. You think um, you think a web? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like a website could at least take some orders and queue them up. But they they well, shut I the whole. Well, I think it's a religious list. thing. It's uh-huh. it's based on uh, you know it's based on uh, religious uh, um, doctrine, and uh, they've kind of interpreted it in modern society, and they've decided that uh, no, they're they're going to shut it down. No revenue generation this week. Understood. Well, you know the cameras aren't going anywhere. That's the good news. So. Yeah, if you're going to go to B&H, either online or offline, you'll just wait till next week. It's Monday, right? Is it Monday it's over? Uh, I, I don't know. Their website uh, says, says I think it is about a week. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of – I know that um, because B&H and Adorama are, are closed on Saturdays, I think, and Friday afternoons uh, because of the Sabbath, a lot of uh, visitors and tourists that come here for the weekend are greatly disappointed. They they often will go down on a Saturday and are surprised to find that it's closed. But it's a good idea to sort of uh, check the website if you're coming to New York and you're planning on visiting there. Yeah, that was interesting because we were, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I just gotten back from the the Photoshop World Show in Vegas, and B and H had a booth directly next to the Data Robotics booth where I was stationed, and. Uh, just one day, everybody was gone. <laughs> it was just an empty booth with the first, you know, the day before it was bustling with activity. Then the next day it was empty with a bunch of stacks of literature there. So yeah. they yeah, definitely I, do I take it seriously. I, I wouldn't cry for B&H because uh, just every time I'm in there, uh, I'm not the only one in there. They do an incredible business, as you guys are, are well aware, all over the world. So yeah. I guess they can afford to, to shut down for a while and, and uh, you know, be okay with it. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. I, you know, I, at Photoshop World, I met a guy from Angola, and I guess he has a hard time having things shipped into him. He actually planned two extra days in New York on his way back from Photoshop World this weekend to go to B&H oh, as far as I no. know. And he didn't realize that uh, it was going to be close. He actually ended up buying some uh, photo gear off a friend of mine that he wanted to get. Uh, wow. so, well, the, the good news is that all the Gentile camera shops are open, so you know you still can uh, get your equipment fixes. <laughs> I love that, the Gentile camera shops. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Moving right along. Um, So uh, a bunch of things in the news in in addition to that. Uh, One of them being Sigma. um, The DP1s are going to be coming out in November. That's a DP1S. DP1S, not DP1s. The DP1S got the same sensor as its predecessor. Are you familiar with this camera, Uh, Ron? My question is, does anybody know anybody that actually has one of these cameras? This is the weird... It is weird. It's this... 
the the foveon sensor, which is a very cool technology. It's instead of having the uh, red, green, and blue dots uh, or sensors side by side, they're all sort of in line. So it's cool technology, but this is a little point-and-shoot. It has a fixed lens. I think it's like a, I don't remember, 22-millimeter lens or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a decent sensor, but it just seems like a very special case camera. I don't, I don't know anybody that has one, so I'm not sure how pertinent yeah. the news that I, there's a, an, an update coming it really is. Well, I just wanted to pipe in because, you know, the DP1 was the first of the little cameras to use a big sensor. And I think it's, you know, a lot of us were asking for this for the longest time. And Sigma was the first to come to the table with a small camera with a large sensor. Unfortunately, um, from what I've gathered and read, uh, the camera is not as responsive as uh, people made a you know, at first hoped it would be, but using it within its limitations, um, it gives you a, a beautiful, beautiful image. And I think the DP1 um, with this S version, they've kind of uh, at least upgraded some of the the problems that the initial one had. There's a DP2 out as well, which I don't really know the difference between the, the two. But I do wish that camera manufacturers would not add an S to things because it does, as as Fred noticed, make things. Quite, it looks like you're pluralizing the old as opposed to introducing something new. Kind I know of like that an there's iPhone. talk about it. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> the D3S apparently is is on the in the pipeline to come out October fifteenth, according to rumors. We'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, I I just wanted to mention though the DP1 kind of broke ground and and. You know, now we're starting to see the EP1, the Olympus, which I know, Fred, you really love. I mean, it's <laughs> nice to have a small small camera with a big sensor so you yeah. can use those images in a, in a big way. Yeah, I tell you, you know, you mentioned the Olympus EP1. I, I love that camera. It was actually really fun. I was the uh, the kind folks over at LensRentals.com um, using my TWIP discount, using the, the coupon code TWIP. Five, I was able to uh, download. I, I downloaded the camera. I got the camera <laughs> and uh, shot with it. And you know, everybody, uh, most people that I that I know know that I love the G9, and I've been in love with my G9 forever since it came out. But playing with that camera, it was sort of. It reminded me of playing with my dad's old cameras. You know, it just had that sort of fit and finish and heaviness and feel. And, you, you know, you're wearing it around your neck and the lens doesn't retract. It's like a real camera. And it was, uh, you know, so I did a test with it. I took it and shot it. Some friends of mine were doing some, some wine stomping with a machine, actually. And I shot it exclusively with the camera and uh, shot HD video, 720p video with it, and then uploaded everything to Animoto just to see what I could do. So everything everything generated directly from that little thing, and it was beautiful. Everything just came out great. But for me, it's negligible whether I would want to switch from my G9, which... I know so well, and it does everything I need it to do to that camera. Uh, all these, all these little sort of compact point and shoots or semi-compact, or you know, it's definitely a compromise area you're, you're living. And I, I love the idea of getting these larger sensors inside of these little tiny cameras and trying to come up with some design that trades off the, the quality that the larger sensor gives you without making the cameras big and bulky as sometimes are. I think they all feel a little compromised still, though. There's still nobody that's kind of nailed. Exactly what you want. And, and as much as anything, that's just the sensor technology needs to get there totally. a little bit better to where you can uh, shoot, especially low-light conditions. They're all still pretty compromised for, you know. I mean, you really have to wonder if you took, like, the state-of-the-art sensor, like what you can get on the, the high-end uh, Nikons or, or Canons, 
and just cut it down to size, but still use have the same light sensitivity and put it in one of these smaller body cameras. I think that's that's what I would be looking for. I'm hoping something like that's going to come out soon. Yeah. Now, Nicole, I noticed last week that you know some days I'd see you carrying around the 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 new 7D, and then other days you had a smaller point and shoot. What was your what was your rationale behind behind which one you carry, especially considering you're an iStock contributor and that's what you do. You know, you shoot stuff for that. Why, why do you make the how do you make the call on which camera to bring with you? I think it just depends on how much bulk I want to carry around, um, depending on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot of lenses for my Canon right now. I have a lens baby. So that kind of, at the moment, you know, makes a little bit of a difference depending on the light situations. Um, and a lot of the times I'm not shooting for stock. You know, I, I just, a lot, of, a lot of the photos I take when I'm just out and about going to parties, you know, like say at Photoshop World, mm-hmm. I just want pictures for memories, you okay, know, just so- to... And so when you're you're, when you're so what what is that camera that you bring with you that little one that that I saw? I have it's a Nikon P fifty one hundred. Okay, just a real simple. You know, it's one of the. It's not one of the newer point and shoots, uh, but it doesn't. It still shoots JPEG, but you know, it's just for stuff that I post on Facebook or Flickr or wherever. It's just for fun. Gotcha. Speaking of uh, compromise, I mean. You know, photography is 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 compromise. You know, if you if you go to a faster shutter speed, you need to open up your f-stop to let more light in. But I'm having a lot of fun with uh, the iPhone, and I know Fred, you've been using yours. I don't know about Ron or Nicole if uh, you guys you know play with the iPhone. But living within the limitations of the camera, you know, there's a lag. It doesn't always work. The light has to be right. But if you know how to use it and maximize it. Um, uh, in the, under the right conditions, you can get some beautiful results. And and when I started to take it a little more seriously was on this 3GS version when I was at an Apple store and I noticed uh, there was a book, a big book, printed strictly with iPhone images. And I realized that though the screen of the iPhone is quite beautiful, um, you really can't judge the image until you bring it into your computer. And, and you can do some cool cool stuff with it if you use it within its limitations, just like any of these smaller cameras. Absolutely, yeah. It's about the, it's about the camera that you have with you. Is that, is that book that you're referring to, Steve? Was that the Chase Jarvis book? Uh, no, it wasn't, uh, although I've, of course, heard about the Chase, Chase Jarvis book and know that Chase has been um, crazy about his iPhone and taking zillions of pictures. Uh, he's probably taking one right now as we speak. <laughs> with it um but no it was a, it was an apple book uh, that was printed and um it just it just made me realize that you know that 2.7 megapixel sensor although it's smaller than the one in the original nikon d1 which is only 2.7 megapixels um with the right lights uh the quality is is really quite fantastic and, and so i've been kind of challenging myself to try and get some good stuff with the uh with the iphone excellent all right, moving on in the news, let's talk a little bit about Aperture and Lightroom. So this is an interesting topic. Uh, some some data came out. I think it was uh, the first time I saw it was on John Knack's blog. He's a he's the principal product manager for uh, Photoshop. Actually, he runs a very popular blog. Uh, you can just Google John Knack and you'll find it. But he posted this thing that was basically saying that uh, citing some data gathered by InfoTrends uh, that only 12% of 12.5% of photographers with Macs reported using Aperture for raw files. And by contrast, Adobe's Lightroom software was nearly four times as popular with 44.4%. 
percent. So it was. Uh, it's very interesting to see that. And I mean, we we see it. I mean, you could see that. You know, a lot of people that you ask, at least a lot of people that I ask, are are using Lightroom right now. But you're you're at Photoshop World. Though. This was a well. Well, no, no, no. Just in general, you know. But in general, not not even at Photoshop World. But uh, the interesting thing for me is Scott Bourne. <laughs> whom we know, whom we know and love. A couple of years ago, if not last year, Scott Bourne made a, a gigantic leap from Canon to Nikon wholeheartedly. And a couple of weeks ago, if not maybe it was last week, Scott posted a blog post saying that he is now. Uh, how did he say it? He's going to be using Lightroom Two T O O. Uh, so he's now embracing Lightroom and is moving his library over into Lightroom. He says he's going to continue using Aperture for things like books and all that. But I, th- the, I think what he said was the gist of it is he's going to be switching to Lightroom as his primary image processor. I, I think I, I talked to Scott a little bit too. Uh, moving forward, he said, I think he, I think he's keeping all of his old stuff in you know, I don't think he's done a wholesale move of all of his old library over oh, into Lightroom. I'm saying he's going to move. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, disregarding Scott, uh, just just generally, I think I think there is a pretty clear situation here that Apple is. You know, it's been a long time since uh, Aperture was was updated, yeah. and uh, you know, it's a fast moving industry, and there's there's a lot of technology that's out there and all these little tools. And I think I mean both both companies need to be really light on their feet but it feels like and, and i know that aperture is is pretty due for an upgrade i think there's one coming pretty soon but you know you, as, as a photographer you do have to sort of consider well what where's this market going to be in a few years and i think this is uh it's definitely a horse race and you know I'm, I'm i'm currently an aperture user but i constantly wonder you know should i be switching over to lightroom should i make sure that i have things in both places yeah you know my, my general solution for all this has been uh first and foremost to kind of never rely on any piece of software to be the ultimate keeper of all of my images my historical images so I, you know i will make sure that everything i do whatever package i'm using you know i keep the raw files separate i actually organize them on disk the way that i want to have them organized i don't let the the application organize them so much i make sure that there's a file system organization that makes sense to me and uh, so if you know aperture went away tomorrow the most i would lose would be this sort of specific uh, adjustments that I applied to the raw files to get to the JPEGs, but I've rendered out all my JPEGs. It's basically like you know I have all of my negatives in a well-organized file cabinet, mm-hmm. and, and I made prints of everything, which is the thing you couldn't do in the old days of negatives, you know, right. and, keep, and keep all of those around. And so I feel like I have the, the source imagery and the final results of everything. And so the only thing I would lose if I was to switch over would be uh, just the sort of intermediate part of it. And I would really encourage everybody to think in that same way that. Don't rely on anything to kind of keep stuff organized for you. The, yeah. the file system is the ultimate database in a lot of ways. Now, Steve, what are, what are you using right now uh, for your image processing and image management? Well, full disclosure, um, you know, I've worked with Apple on Aperture. I'm a, a member of their advisory board. You know, I love Aperture. I've, I chose it from the beginning. I've looked at Lightroom. Nothing wrong with it. Um, I just like the way Aperture um, works and functions better than Lightroom. And because I do a lot of speaking and teaching, I use Aperture not only to process my images and maintain my library, but I also use it uh, as a uh, presentation tool, and it works 
fabulously. Look, the thing is, I mean, it's been a little bit quiet, and we know that there's something coming. And, you know, Aperture is not going anywhere. Uh, I do know that, you know, there there is going to be something coming up, and, and I think we all know that. And things can change very quickly. And um, but, but the fact is, because it's been a while, uh, we haven't heard so much about Aperture. You know, people kind of raise their eyebrows a little bit. But the fact is, you know, Apple is supporting Aperture. They've got millions of iPhones photo users which is a kind of a built-in uh, springboard into aperture and I'm yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that um, when the upgrade does come um, we're going to be talking a lot more uh, about aperture and we're going to start to see uh, those numbers reverse keep in mind that uh, you know they've in in the survey that you pointed to um, there's only a, a 2% uh, drop in um, aperture users over that time period so it's not really that dramatic and if if and when um, uh, Aperture, the new version comes out and, and people respond to it, I think you can see that change very quickly. Yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely right. And I think that the takeaway from all this is that both companies, of course, are innovating and they're not standing still, uh, both companies being Apple and Adobe. And I'm sure that we're going to see stellar releases or version threes from both of these guys in the future and the the great thing about it is it's competition at its best so we're you know and the, the winners from all this are the users so yeah, us, I really, us photographers I would, I would hate to see some one either one of them go away no, right because you know they, need, they the, need to be pushing each other and that's the way it's been from the outset right yep. is that that you know the, that threat of the other company getting too big of a foothold has started keeping them both going. I would hate to see it. It's the coyote and the roadrunner. We need need the shows to continue. But the good thing is both applications have trial versions that folks can just head over to their websites and download and try for free and make your own decision. So, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the features, like Ron and I were talking earlier off off mic that uh, a lot of the features have overlap and a lot of it is, I think, how your brain is wired. You know, so it's you know, it's subjective. You know, it's like Nikon versus Canon. You know, they're both excellent pieces of kit, you know. So you just use the one that works best for you. And the cool thing about it, versus, you know, as opposed to camera hardware, this is software. So you can just try before you buy, make your decision, get them both on your computer, play with each of them, and then pull the trigger after your trial period ends and you're, you're all good. So next up in the news, Breeze System has released DSLR Remote Pro for Mac. What is this, Ron? This looks cool. What is uh, it? Well, it's it's a tethering app, so a remote tethering app. So you plug your camera into your laptop, and it gives you sort of all the same controls that you typically would have by directly manipulating the camera body. Uh, the thing that's interesting to me, I mean, this is primarily a studio solution. You know, you, you set up your camera on a tripod, and you have your laptop next to it, and it gives you... Obviously, a very nice big monitor to look at the images that are coming out of the camera, but a lot of cool stuff with uh, shooting time lapse and whatnot. Uh, the thing I didn't realize that you could do that they say is in here now is you can even do focus bracketing, which is kind of a cool, oh, cool. obscure thing. But if you're shooting macros, for instance, uh, where you've got such a narrow depth of field, and you know you can really you just can't focus on everything. You're shooting a little tiny flower or an insect or something like that. You can use this focus bracketing to shoot it uh, in the same way we do exposure bracketing. You can mm-hmm. do focus bracketing, shoot a series of shots, and then tools like Photoshop will let you layer these together, and you can get a much deeper depth of field image by post processing on it. So it's yep. it's kind of I, I, I'm I think the, the current price of this is like $75. It goes up to $90 at some point once the trial period ends, and I'm definitely going to take a look at it. I don't do a whole lot of 
studio photography, but just even around the house kind of stuff or playing with things, it's it's really handy having one of these. And if you are a studio photographer, you should definitely consider having a tool like this. You know, Canon and Nikon both ship uh, tethered applications with it, but they're generally pretty weak. And so uh, this looks like they've thought things through pretty well, but I have not played with it yet. And also on one software has that, mm-hmm. that camera app out for the iPhone that works with Canon and Nikon that yep. allows you to work through your, your Mac or PC to trigger and control a camera which is kind of cool. I haven't played with it yet, but uh, the demos on the site look pretty interesting. So it's interesting where all this stuff is going. Next up, Hasselblad unveils an H4D series. What is this, Focus 2.0? Would it? Have you seen this, Steve? Are you looking in there? Um, well, all I know, Fred, is um, you're off the hook. You don't have to get me that Leica M9 for my <laughs> birthday. But I've been saving. H4D 60 megapixel has a bad medium format camera with true focus. Um, I, I looked at this. I don't know if you guys have. I just looked at the press release. But it actually looks really um, like an innovative uh, new autofocusing feature. It brings autofocus to the next step because I think most of us, the way we work, depending on what focus system we use, but we do a little bit of uh, locking in the focus and recomposing. Well, with the new Hasselblad True Focus system, according to the um, press release, when you refocus, you move the camera slightly, and the camera knows exactly how much it's moved and will actually kind of correct for any movement that you do when you refocus, which is um, you know, something you have to be a little bit careful with that um, when you're using traditional autofocus cameras. And apparently this, this camera has a brain that knows exactly how you shift and what you locked on and will compensate if it moves outside of that focus area. So it, it looks like kind of the next step in autofocus, which is uh, very interesting. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it, I would like to play with it just because just the technology sounds interesting. Cause it's, it's got like basically accelerometers in there or something that let you know once you've chosen your focus point it then knows how far off axis you move that camera and compensates accordingly uh so it is pretty high tech did we see any pricing information on this camera <laughs> yeah we did <laughs> we did Don't, how much if is you it have steve to ask, Fred, if you have to ask and i, mean, I do have to ask <laughs> if i'm i'm just going to go to the photo i i seem to recall something in the range of 28 thousand but i'm not sure if that was pounds or if that was dollars but it it's doesn't not matter pounds. that's pounds so it's pounds okay yes. so what, double that? euros i Holy think cow. actually well maybe not quite double but you know 60 megapixel um medium format sensor you could just jump into that sensor and and swim, swim around, around it. yeah I mean, you could you whoa. could take pictures of the second mortgage that you'd have to take in order to <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, you're right, right though, Steve. Steve, you're absolutely right. If you have to ask, you know, at that level, then you're probably outside of the price range of this. This is for those guys that you know they're upgrading the camera that they already have, and you know it's in the budget. Or your, you know, I don't know, Bill Gates or you know Scott Bourne or somebody that could just (laughs) write write a quick check and walk away with it. Nicole, do you know on the in the stock photo market? I mean, do people tend to? Is there anybody that's sort of providing ultra high resolution stuff for stock photo? Is there a demand for that even? Well, I do know of two photographers that I don't know them. I've met I met a few of them, but well, two of them actually. Uh, Yuri Arkers is one, and he does a lot of micro stock throughout uh, all of the 
you know, all, all the different microstock agencies. And then Lise Gagne, she's an exclusive uh, to iStock Photo. Uh, she, both of those two photographers have Hasselblads that I know that they use for their stock work. Um, I really don't know. There's probably more, but you have to be bringing in a lot, you know, to actually afford one of these things with the mm-hmm. lenses and everything. But I don't really know the demand for the, that high of a resolution I mean, of file. Can I go on to iStock Photo and even search for images that are, you know, 50 megapixels and above? Is there even a way to identify? Well, the way that my understanding is they only go up to a certain size on iStock Photo. So they go oh. up to a triple XL. So my guess is that, you know, I don't have a fo- any, I don't have a camera that shoots that high, but if you have something that's 60 megapixels, then that's probably going to be your top number, and then they're just going to go down from there. Interesting. But so I don't know what the demand is for that, though. Huh. Well. All right then. All right. Just a, another quick nod to a sponsor of this week in photography. Squarespace.com is the is the way, a fast and easy way to build and host and also manage your website. They got an easy to use UI for creating and managing your website or blog, and they're optimized for both beginners and those CSS experts out there. I've got hundreds of design templates to choose from, and you can customize the, demi- the, the designs to fit your need. Like I said at the top of the show, if you want a free trial, just head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card. Just try it out, build your website, and if you decide to purchase the service, you'll get 10% off when you enter the offer code TWIP. And like we said on the show so many times before, we love Squarespace, not only because they're a sponsor, but because they're driving the site behind twiplog.com, the home website for This Week in Photography. So if you want to see how it works, head over to Twiplog and poke around there, and you'll see what some of the things that their service is capable of. So continuing, continuing on in the news, um, this is the first thing about our friends over in France. It's very interesting. They're considering warning labels on photos that have been... I'm holding up quote fingers for the audio audience. Airbrushed, <laughs> you know. Yes. <laughs> I love the word. Yeah, airbrushed. You don't think about it, but it's like a complete uh, anachronism these days, right? I know that's the first error in the whole thing. Airbrushing. Who? Who airbrushes? <laughs> Steve, I, I know you read the article. I know you probably have a position on this. What What do you think about this uh, warning label thing? I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, I'm all about full disclosure. And look, I think most most of uh, the public that ingests the various news sources and imagery that are all around us are aware of what goes on and what Photoshop does. But I think when you actually see uh, an image that's been, quote, airbrushed or Photoshopped or retouched, it can be quite shocking to the degree that which a lot of these images are. I mean, the, the image that they show uh, in the Time.com article is uh, President Sarkozy, who um, in a recent Parry match, they got rid of the little kind of uh, fat layer around the belly. They, they retouched it out, I guess, out of respect to him. Uh, nobody knows this, and people look at him and go, wow, he's been working out. Um, it's not true. It's not fair. So I think, you know, look, I think a lot of people uh, understand that this happens every day and it and and this is a part of it but you know out of sight out of mind we we look at the image we we take it at face value often we don't think that maybe it's been manipulated and i think having a label there is fantastic yeah, but, i say but isn't isn't this should. just going to end up being every single image has a label on it yeah, mm-hmm. i, think I mean there, no. i don't think there's anything that's touched no i i well, I'm okay, not other talking... than other than news photos right yeah 
but I'm, I'm really saying talking you're, about um, uh, uh, moving, cloning pixels, removing pixels. I'm not talking about cropping and and lightening, darkening, changing color. We're talking about you know retouching, moving moving heads and moving you know stuff like that. Major 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 retouching where you're altering. Um, the physical reality in in that photo, and I know it. I don't know if it's a big can of worms, you but are. at least in the in the in the news business, <laughs> I, I think you, you say right. a big can of worms. I say a big can of whoop ass because well, <laughs> I don't think this is just for. I think that the cam, the thing that they're talking about is not just for news photos. I think they're talking about advertisements and every everything really. So, I mean, I think if if you look at a photo that's on the cover of a very popular magazine and if you say oh there's nothing done to that then you're you know i think most people know that most women even men are going to be retouched you know getting blemishes away smoothing skin anything like that and if there's going to be a label for like i I agree with you ron that for every single image is going to have a label because that's just what we do we we do yeah that's the thing i I don't see where at some point it just becomes this thing that nobody notices anyway Mm -hmm. I, i you know other than news photo i think any any sort of glamour photo or anything they're all going to have this on there so at what point yeah. does it just become extra noise yeah. now, now what would be cool was if they had a law that required Before. you to publish a, a url that points to the original image so that you know you could actually see what was done yeah. uh and then there'd be some interest there i think people would actually go go through that and see and you'd really get a, a better sense of I mean, it's a very valid point, right? That this it's this, a valid point but it's also very unenforceable as well i mean in the end and we've hashed this back and forth a lot i think in the end the Unless you're trying to represent or misrepresent reality then mm-hmm. and something that's newsworthy or it's going to affect the course of war or people how people fall on a certain issue, if you're creating art for art's sake, I don't think you need to tell people that, hey, you know, here's a list of the applications I use to create this image. Yeah, but or- if, it's, if it's a fashion – but isn't the point of this mostly that these, these fashion magazines that have unrealistic women – portrayed it i mean it was isn't well, who that cares the, though i mean it's it's but it, i think that's the point of, that's the yeah. driving point behind this which is why i said every single one of those images is going to be manipulated right so yeah. you're going to see this on every image yeah yeah but yeah. wouldn't that be a powerful thing to realize that just about everything we see is not really what we think it is i mean when you look at an image you don't really think about it being retouched you see it because they're they're so good as we know uh in in making the changes that it does look like the real thing but if you realize that just about everything you see is a a little bit of a white lie then i think it's it's probably not a bad thing at least initially and then you know we'll see where it goes i think eventually you're right it becomes like white noise but uh it would be a a bit of an eye-opener to realize that even innocuous images uh can be sort of manipulated to the point where they're not what they what we think they are yeah i think a lot of it it, we could go on and on and of this but i think a lot of it is you know, we photographers and retouchers and people in the industry might be taking it a bit too seriously because I think, you know, it's 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 about aesthetics in the end. You know, if, if I go to, not that I buy records or CDs anymore, but if I go there and I look at, you know, a CD cover and it's got an artist on there that looks flawless, you know, say it's Fergie or somebody and they look flawless on there. Of course I know they don't really look like that in person. And it, if I believe it, so what, you know, it, it's just the representation of how that person wants to sell their product and who am I to, or who are whomever, whatever authority to, to come in and say that you need to label that because people you're misrepresenting what this product but, but, that, like. but the reason yeah. for it i mean the reason why this is all coming up is is you know you get a lot of uh, you know especially young girls coming up with these unrealistic body images that are presented to them right this is this is the the 
basic reasoning behind most of these these things, I mm-hmm. think. And I think it's extremely valid, which is and kind of why it's just I, incentive I, for the people to get in shape. <laughs> there well, you go. <laughs> but you know, that was when I was a teenager. That was still that was still there. Everybody on magazines and stuff, they still looked. They didn't look realistic, but and girls are still going to think, you know. They should look like that. But Photoshop really wasn't prevalent back then. It's it's not Photoshop. And I don't know if this is a Photoshop issue or just a, you know, altering reality issue. But I, and, you know, on a side note, for me personally, I do a lot of commercial photos through stock photography. I don't have a problem with disclosing things that I do to the photos, you know, and I don't think it's an issue as much as it's a, a burden to have to make this, you know, announcement on every single image that, you know, they put through for advertisements and campaigns and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but I, 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 that's why I made the point that I think the interesting thing to do would be to actually provide access to the original imagery, you know, because I think number one, then that you would understand what was done. Uh, you're shaking I'm, your I'm head. I'm shaking my head at Ron. Like, <laughs> <laughs> again, I think just we're just taking it too seriously. I mean, it's like it's just a, it's an image, and it's it's all about the product. It's not about the yeah. label on the product. It's about the product itself, and however the company slash person wants that image represented is up to them. Who are we, or who is any industry to say that? Oh, you must label that. I could see parental advisory on you know. Albums or songs with with questionable but I, but lyrics, I, but no. But I don't. I don't think the issue. It's not about the honesty side of it. It's not about fair disclosure so much as it's about uh, making people aware. And again, making especially these young girls that are yeah. literally killing themselves sometimes to try to fit into a certain body mold. Make, just making them understand that it's the you know they're trying to emulate something that doesn't exist in reality. And you think they, that yeah, would change I, I their perception? Well, no, and I don't. I, and that's kind of my point. Is I don't think putting warning labels on there is really the the, the thing that's going to do it. You know, right. I, I think, like I said, putting links to the original images would help, and some other campaigns would help too. And that you know, wonderful thing that Dove did uh, a year or so ago, where they really showed the amount of work that goes into this. I think that kind of thing is probably more effective. Yeah. And when you see, Fred, some of the transformations that are done for routine portraits for magazines and ads mm-hmm. of people that we all know and are used to seeing. I do it all it the time. Is, <laughs> it, it is even for, for people in the business and photo, people in Photoshop world that know what can be done. It can be startling to see the transformation that occurs when the retouching is completed. It's, it's, it's just amazing. But and how, I've seen, how about this, Steve? How about this to put a spin on it? Um, so the transformation, say, for example, you have this, this woman who is, you know, at the core beautiful and, but has some flaws. Maybe, you know, there's some, I don't know, some muffin tops going on there or something that needs to be fixed in Photoshop before this can be published. And maybe she has a couple blemishes that need to be taken out. So, and the retoucher takes those out and the photo makes it to the cover of, you know, whatever magazine you want to insert. The the fact that the retoucher made those changes, yeah, that's editing the photo. But she could have made those changes herself. So she the, she could she could have dyed it and got rid of the muffin tops. She could have you know got some but, proactive but, and got rid of the, she didn't. the you know. So it's yeah, they're but, actually just simulating what would have happened had this person done X, Y, and Z. So it's not really it's distorting reality. Yeah, but it's not. It's just. Augmenting reality is what I'm saying. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, look at some of the features in today's cameras. Like, I know Nikon, in all their cool pics, has kind of a skin um, uh, enhancing feature that will remove blemishes and so on. HP, which they got rid of, and I'm not sure, but they had, remember they had that slimming feature in in their camera where you can take a shot. 
and put it in slimming mode and would actually make people look a little a little when you go to Walmart or your photographer to do a family portrait and you want a little bit of enhancing happening, Steve, sure, that's fine. But when you, when you, uh, when you are going to publish something, I say, yeah, why not put a, a label to show that it's, it's been retouched? And uh, I, I agree. It's a little bit of a, a, a weak statement to us, but it, it's, it's more than what we have now. And I don't think there's really a downside to it. It wouldn't be a big deal to put that. And it would, it would really kind of uh, open your eyes to the fact that, uh, you know, things aren't as they appear. Yeah. But I Go think ahead, that, you know, it depends. I know in some advertising, like with food photography, if you're selling a product like ice cream, you have to use real ice cream, you know, you, and I don't know if they do any editing to it after the fact, but if you're selling a weight, a weight loss pill, maybe there's, you know, ethics that say you have to actually show the person how they look like after they took the photo and dot, you know, use your little, you know, little tools in Photoshop to make them look skinny. So maybe, I don't know. I, I don't, I think that it's good to be honest if you're selling that specific product, but, but in, you know, in food photography, Nicole, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, yes, they might use real food, but they also will use like motor oil for syrup. Oh, yeah. And they'll yeah, use. Yeah, but if they're selling know, syrup, they can't use motor oil. You know, there's some, there oh, are some rules. Gotcha. But, but I mean, yeah, the you're rules right, are. You're right. If you knew what this, what this food was that you're looking at, you would totally lose your appetite because mm-hmm. they use all kinds of enhancing uh, tricks. Uh, so should they label things. those? Are you saying they should label those, Steve? Yes, I so on the box of cereal, when I buy my Cheerios, they should have a label on the front that says the Cheerios that you're looking at in this photo are not exactly what they look like. Yeah, I see, no, well, not, it does, doesn't, it, doesn't it say that they're larger than they appear on the box? No, <laughs> no. There, it doesn't say that they're in Elmer's glue, which is what they're probably sitting there, in. There is some exactly. website. I wish I had it off the top of my head, but there is a website that compares the, the food packaging photos with the actual food that comes out of it. And it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty amusing to check it out. Yeah. If, if I can find that, we'll put it up. I on agree. The, on the Fast show food notes. restaurants yeah. like Taco Bell and McDonald's and all those guys, they should definitely have labels that say this Big Mac or this taco will not look like the one that you're looking at in the photo. It's yeah, a little bit, you know, the a little stuff sloppier. that they use, the stuff that they use to make stuff look good, is probably less harmful to you than the actual chemicals that go into the food itself. Yeah. If you ever read the now, so. now, Steve, uh, anyway, that's a whole other discussion. A couple of a uh, couple of weeks ago, I twittered that. That veteran Condé Nast shooter David Bailey suggested that retouchers are more important than photographers. And I, I said, true or false? And it was interesting, the response I got from that, because um, people fell on both sides, but mostly they fell on the... Because most of the people that follow me are photographers. Most of the people fell on the side, of course, you know, you can't... If they don't have anything to retouch, what's the use of having a retoucher? But a lot of people had a valid argument that um, the, some of the images that, that, that retouchers are given would never see the light of day had they not been touched by a retoucher. Where do, where do you fall on that, say, Nicole? I got really lost there. What was the question? So uh, <laughs> a Condé Nast shooter basically said retouchers are more important Retouching versus than photographers. photographers. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the photograph, really. Um, I do both, so it's really hard for me to say. You know, whenever I have a, a shoot, I, I have to set up the, the photograph, so I'm... I, if I have a specific way I want to retouch it, then I, you know, I'll go from one to another. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's the photographer, honestly. I think it's more design work if you're getting into the retouching, if it's for like an advertisement or something. Yeah. So. Steve? Yeah, well, I just think it's it's a very powerful statement for, 
you know, arguably one of the most successful and influential commercial photographers of our time, David Bailey, mm -hmm. would make that statement because he understands just how much all the great work that he does is manipulated before it actually goes to print. So for, for him to say that, I think, is really what the news item is because you would not expect someone at that level with his remarkable career that he's had um, photographing everybody and, and um, everything uh, would, would make such a statement. So, I mean, that, that underlines just how much uh, of an impact uh, retouching has on the images that we see. Yeah. Now, where, where do you fall on that? Do you, do you think retouchers are more important than photographers? You, well, Steve I mean, Simon. I think I think he's talking about a very specific type of photography, and he's talking about kind of high-end editorial and commercial work. And I think that uh, um, you know, if if he if he says that, and he knows more than I do, then he's at least uh, acknowledging that um, you know half of the work is what he does, and I, I would I would say more than half of it is, but. A significant impact is is being um, uh, put into place by by retouchers who, you know, not only can manipulate the way people look, but you know, move things around and add things. And and you know, we know, and at the highest level, it's it's absolutely seamless and and just extraordinary what can be done. Uh, yeah, and I, I would make the point. This this actually has a lot of parallels <laughs> to what we do in the in the visual effects industry, where you know we will tend to shoot a lot of different pieces and then put them together in post, right? We'll shoot people in front of blue screens and we'll shoot, you know, little miniature elements and all those get composited together, right? Yeah. And, and for a high-end food photography and even for some of this fashion photography, a lot of that exact same stuff is going on. And you may very well have a photographer who takes a lot of pieces, you know, shoots a lot of different elements, uh, but somebody else is sort of doing the Photoshop work to combine them. So at some point, the image that comes out uh, that, that's you know presented uh, to the public was created by the person doing the Photoshop work, not by the photographer. The photographer was providing elements to create the final image. Now that's not always the case, or probably not in the majority yet. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's becoming more and more common. And you're going to see these things basically be put together uh, in Photoshop in, as a post process. Yeah, but you still have to have a good and you know competent photographer to actually put those pieces together. So it, you know. It's yeah, a balance, it, it's, I think, it's, when it comes again, to that. you know, if you look at the the analogy with with shooting a motion picture, right? You've got the director of photography who shoots a lot of these pieces, but ultimately there's an effects supervisor who may choose how things get combined, and then bottom line is there's a, a director who's the vision behind it. And I think for some of this high end photography work, you know, the the director of the image that comes out of it, maybe the ad agency, it maybe the photographer, uh, it maybe the person in post. It's, you know, there's no clear cut rule for who the person is that's ultimate vision is putting this together. And, and I think that's all I'm saying is that there are going to be situations where the photographer is effectively a technician in the chain. I don't, technician makes it sound too non-artistic, but providing pieces as a service to somebody else's ultimate vision of what the image is going to look like. Yeah. All very deep and riveting topics, uh, but let's move on. Another quick <laughs> nod to uh, one of our sponsors, Audible.com. Again, we're brought to you by them. They're a leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Over 50,000 titles to choose from and be down to be downloaded and playback anywhere. Um, visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip for a free audio book of your choice. So, Ron, are you listening to anything in particular? I'm, I'm in the midst of a long drive from Seattle to Los Angeles 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to at least four audiobooks right now. Wow. <laughs> what's, what's the uh, most riveting of the four? Uh, I just finished listening to, um, I wouldn't say it's riveting, but there's a book called After Dark by uh, Haruki Murakami, mm-hmm. uh, which is just sort of a slice of life out of uh, Japanese, uh, you know, very urban culture kind of thing. Pretty good. Uh, cool. I actually I actually listened to Huckleberry Finn uh, on part of the, the trip, too. So This I, trip sounds like a barrel of monkeys. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have a few little options and just kind of you know change whenever you're in a different mood and uh, yeah. but yeah you know for a long drive i can't imagine doing it without audiobook support yeah no i hear you but what podcasts come on you know? yeah yeah podcasts suck <laughs> you've heard it first ron brinkman quoted as saying podcasts suck <laughs> no uh, you know there, there's a there's a there's a time and a place for everything but I, I couldn't listen to podcasts. There aren't that many good podcasts, first of all. So I rapidly go through most of my podcasts. And, you know, I think, again, for a long drive, just the engagement you get with a novel when you're in the midst of it. I mean, anyway, yeah. we're talking several hours on the road. It really makes the time go fast. And you feel yeah. like, you know, at the end of it, you feel like you almost accomplished something. You know, you, there's time I would have spent sitting around on the couch reading this book anyway, probably. Uh, and instead, I was sort of multitasking. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, I definitely have to say... I don't agree that podcasts suck, of course, <laughs> right, well, but there's there's one podcast that I've recently become a fan of. I think I may have mentioned it a while ago, but it's uh, it's from the Discovery Channel. It's called How Stuff Works. So find that, and they, they just sort of dissect different weird topics and you know how segues work, how whatever works, and they just talk about it for like 20 minutes. It's pretty cool. So you should download that for your trip. Yeah, I just may. All right. So uh, moving on to the poll results, we asked a couple weeks ago, what is your favorite online photo sharing site? And the results are 61% or 238 votes said Flickr is their favorite online photo sharing. Only 1% said Photo Bucket. Mm-hmm. Smug Mug came in at 16%. Zoomer came in. Zoomer is Thomas Hawk's company, I think. Came in at 1%. Facebook, surprisingly, only 11%, 41 votes. So Surprisingly, because they're the largest repository of photography right yeah. now, even bigger than Flickr. And then other came in at 11 So we've got a, that 11% margin of error in there. But it was interesting. Of course, I, I figured Flickr is the most popular dedicated online photo sharing site but uh, i would i would have picked facebook as coming in higher than they did but very interesting i suspect that's our demographic relative to the the world at large i think you know people that are into photography want the ability to most specifically you know put up galleries and show uh, you know provide the ability to have access to the high res versions of it yep. that sort of thing well, and more people, not not everybody has everyone on their Facebook, too. So you put something on Flickr, you can share it with everyone. And uh, you don't just have to limit it to the people that are in your network on Facebook. Yeah, so. that's a good point. Yep. The gallery kind of thing. Steve Simon, what's, uh, what's the poll for next week? Oh, the poll for next week is, <clears throat> what is your favorite season for photography? And, of course, there is spring, summer, fall, winter, or no preference, love them all which I suspect is going to be what many of the passionate photographers are going to put down. Yep, absolutely. So if you want to weigh in on your thoughts about what your favorite season for photography is, head over to twiplog.com and cast your vote, and we'll tally them up for the next show.
So uh, at this point in the show, we're going to insert a very special interview that I did a couple days ago with our friend and occasional co-host Scott Bourne, where I asked him specifically why he decided to make the jump from his aperture world over to Lightroom. And he Why? Co- <laughs> why, Scott, why? <laughs> so, yeah, he made it clear uh, what his reasoning was and a bunch of other interesting things. So give it a, give it a listen. All right, I'm, we're at Photoshop World, and uh, one of the guys who's making a big cameo here at Photoshop World is Scott Bourne. And why is that significant? Uh, you'll find out in a, in a second, but uh, Scott has agreed to let me sit down with him and pick his brain about a couple of things and go in a little deeper about some controversial moves he's made lately. Hello, Scott Bourne. Hey, it's great to be back on TWIP and controversy. Well, just, just call that my middle name. <laughs> yeah, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, you, um, for the last, I don't know, Long time, several, several Since months. Since the day the program launched. You've been waving the Aperture flag. Yeah, you've been the poster child for Aperture. You have been leading the Aperture Nature Photography Workshops, of which I joined you on one up in Yellowstone. And uh, now I read a blog post about you jumping ship into Lightroom completely wholeheartedly <laughs> and, and and just loving Lightroom now. What's where did going you on? where did you go to high school? <laughs> is, is reading comprehension always been a problem for you? Uh, <laughs> I can comprehend but I choose to interpret it how I, I want. <laughs> well, the post I wrote actually said and it quote why I'm starting to use Lightroom 2 T O O as in addition to Aperture. <laughs> I'm not jumping ship, I'm not abandoning Aperture. I think Aperture is a great program. However, the realities of the world are that uh, uptake of Lightroom is significantly greater than Aperture. The easiest reason to figure out that is that, you know, you can use it on a Windows machine. You can't use Aperture on a Windows machine. But, you know, recently Jack Knack, is it or John Knack? John Knack. John Knack mm-hmm. wrote a, an Adobe employee wrote a blog post where he pulled some numbers from one of the, the companies who does research about this that showed how much quicker Lightroom was being taken you know, to heart by even Mac users. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that the numbers in the post were all accurate, but I believe the general consensus of the post was right, that, that, that there's a lot more uptake, even on Macs, of Lightroom. And the bottom line is... You know, I'm in the business of trying to help people become better photographers, and I get 100 questions a month on Lightroom, and I'm tired of just saying, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Aperture guy, I can't help you. Right. So I thought it would make sense to try and get back into Lightroom and see if I could help people. doesn't mean I won't ever use Aperture again, but, you know, Apple is a pretty closed company. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know what the future holds with Aperture, if anything. And with all the things that are going on, with Lightroom being able to use ACR, which means that you're going to get your camera raw updates quicker, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of reasons for me at least to start looking at Lightroom. And the Lightroom 2 upgrade was pretty significant. Now, you know, when, when people go back and look at the history of my talking about these two programs, they'll note that I wrote articles on O'Reilly's digital blog and for Safari, etc., talking about the differences. And when you look at Lightroom 1 and Aperture 1, Aperture had 19 features, 19, mm-hmm. that Lightroom did not. Mm-hmm. Now, however, things have changed. Lightroom 2 came out as did Aperture 2 and the, the, they got quite a bit more in level with each other. Yeah. So that's got me looking at it. Yeah, the main thing I think that's that's missing out of Lightroom currently that's in Aperture is the bookmaking module. That's the big deal. Yeah. And and in my blog post I mentioned that 
one of the reasons I will continue to use Aperture is that I like the Aperture books. Mm-hmm. And from what I hear through the grapevine, there's no uh, eminent, uh, you know, application in Lightroom of books, you know, in Lightroom three, four, or five even. So, yeah. uh, the, you know, Apple's worked that out pretty darn well. Yeah. And I'm glad to say that, you know, I kind of helped them. I tested some of that and liked what they were doing and gave them my feedback. And I think they do a great job on the books. And for that reason, I'll continue to keep things, that, you know, so if I want to make a book, I can do it in, in Aperture. But otherwise, they are surprisingly similar now. Mm-hmm. And you just, for a guy like me that's, you know, been in Aperture forever, I just sort of think in Aperture and translate to what how I think I do it in Lightroom. Right, right. So what about um, strategically? You know, like I mentioned earlier, you, you were running and formed the Aperture Nature Photography Workshops. Are we going to see a Lightroom Nature Photography Workshop? Well, you know... I, I don't know. It's you know I'm finding it hard to work with some of the companies and keep my objectivity. Mm-hmm. So I mean, PhotoFocus.com is is where I spend most of my time now, and I try to be objective and I try to you know give everybody coverage. And the bottom line is is that with some of these big companies, and this would go for Canon or Nikon or or Adobe or Apple, it's very difficult to work with one and, and still be able to be objective about everything that's going on. And I'm sort of leaning toward just not getting involved at a sponsorship level or a financial level with these companies so that I can just say whatever I think. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I can tell you if the question is, Scott, will you be teaching Lightroom? The answer is 100% absolutely yes. yes. I will be teaching Lightroom. And I, of course, will have a particular... I think the thing I'll bring to the table there is for people who've used Aperture, I'll be able to help them understand how to transition if they've made that choice. And I'll have a different approach to Lightroom because I'll be coming at it as an Aperture T3 certified expert. So mm-hmm. I may have a little different workflow tweak that the, somebody who grew up in Lightroom won't have. So I think I'll have some stuff to offer. And I'm definitely going to get involved in making presets because that, you know, the one thing that Aperture has that Lightroom doesn't is the books. Well, the one thing that Lightroom has that Aperture doesn't is the presets. Oh, and boy, yeah. those are kick butt. I mean, the ability to use presets has got me very excited, and I'm one of the first guys that was out there selling Photoshop actions way back in the day, Mm -hmm. and I guarantee you're going to be able to buy a Scott Bourne collection or some kind of collection that I'm involved with of of, of presets from uh, Lightroom, but I still got to get my arms around a few more things. I worked on it 20 hours this week. I took 20 hours with the tutorials this week Mm -hmm. off of... uh, Kelby Training and Lynda.com and, yep. and studying some uh, stuff by Kevin Kubota, who's mm-hmm. a Lightroom expert. Yep. And I'm going to take some more training. There's a lot of stuff on uh, on Adobe TV as well. Yeah, um, Julianne. Julianne Cost. I got to spend a week with Julianne in Maui teaching mm-hmm. at the Maui Photo Festival, so I got a few pointers off her. And yep. the great thing is, is I'm in a position, thanks to my lucky, lucky life, that I know all the experts in pretty much everything, sure. and I can sit down with them and get some extra help. So it won't take me long. And in a matter of a couple of months... I'll, I'll be in a position to really help people with Lightroom. You know what's interesting uh, about what you said is just the, the the fact that you were sort of ingrained in the ap- on the Aperture side, and now you're getting ingrained on the Lightroom side. Now you can act as sort of the... Uh, Translator. The Moses. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, once again, I'm not leading anybody anywhere. I, I, it, it's the, the thing you and I have always said, even though we've both had fun with this and danced around with this and occasionally made people at Adobe and or Apple mad too bad, mm-hmm. um, is that you, know, you can download these programs for free yep. and try them out for 30 days. And you should do, if you're one of those people that says Aperture or Lightroom, 
my response and yours I've heard several times is download them both and try them. I don't care which one you use, especially now, because I'm going to be able to teach you how to use either one. And I'm going to be able to help you with stuff involving either one. So you pick the one that's best for you. You know, I'm I'm really happy you're taking that that sort of... not align yourself with any particular company position because, you know, for me, it, it allows you to, of course, be more objective right. about what you're talking about. But even more so than that, at the core, we're all photographers. Exactly. You know? And and to, you know, people get ingrained in this Lightroom versus Aperture, Nikon versus Canon. Ridiculous. Uh, which lab you're picking and you're yeah. bad because you're using this lab over the other one. It's ridiculous. You know, in yeah. the end, we're all photographers and it's all about the photography. No one cares, you know, in, in, unless they're a photographer, <laughs> looking at your photos, what lab you used, what camera you used, what program well, you used to process it. It's all about the art. Perfect right? example. I sold 98 copies of Cranes in the Fire Mist. Mm-hmm. You know what question I've never been asked? <laughs> Lightroom or Aperture? Right. <laughs> Nobody, exactly. They're just, one of, they're just like, oh, look at the birds. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not something I'm going to get into. I mean, people like to build these little rivalries up in their mind. Mm-hmm. They tried to pretend that there's a rivalry between Twip and Photo Focus. They right. tried, they tried it because it, it's it, it's entertaining. Yeah. It's exciting. But at the end of the day, I know people at Adobe. I know people at Apple. Mm-hmm. I know both sets of, of folks are trying their hardest to make a good product to help people be better at photography. Yep. Everybody's got good intentions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so do I. I have good intentions. Yeah. I just, you know, think it's time for me to expand my repertoire. Yeah. It's sort of like saying I've been eating chicken for four years and I've decided to also eat steak. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go out plucking the feathers off of little chickens and murder them. It just means <laughs> I'm going to eat some steak once in a while, too. <laughs> and, I like that analogy. <laughs> and, and, and whoever has a problem with it, I got two words for you. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, it's just true. the way it is. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know what? And everybody's going to enjoy it because when it's all over, I think I'm going to be more valuable to the community knowing both programs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or Lightroom, Aperture, Photoshop, iPhoto, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. the right tool for the right job. You don't have to well, relegate I, yourself to any particular tool because it's your religion. Just use exactly. whatever gets the job done. And I just got a copy of Photo Mechanic. Mm-hmm. The brand new one mm-hmm. for the Mac. Oh, cool. I'm going to be evaluating that. Yeah. And and in my own life, you can bet I'm going to use the tools that I like best for me. And it's not going to matter who pays me what or who's a sponsor or who isn't or what workshops I teach. I'm going to use what I want to use. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that anybody else should use it. It just means that's what's right for me. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So speaking of tools and using new cool things i'm staring at a box right now that has <laughs> the letters eos and seven the number seven and d on it yeah I know. you got a brand new canon at 70 here huh? in, in the wild the day it's uh, first out <laughs> yeah, i don't know how i do it it's still got the shaky leg still hasn't taken its first step yet you got one how, well, I don't want to know how you got it, but what do you think of the camera? You just sort of playing around with. I've been it playing around with it for a couple of hours, and my initial impressions are it is a kick butt camera. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and for everyone who's already stopped me on the show floor here in Vegas, no, I'm not switching back to Canon. <laughs> the reason I got this camera, and if anybody's been following along over at PhotoFocus.com very closely, we've been doing a lot on hybrids and convergence and VSLRs or whatever you want to call them. I happen to think it's the next big deal. Like it or not, it's the next big deal. Yeah. So I've purchased, Fred, every hybrid camera that does video and stills. Yeah. I have purchased a 5D Mark II. I have a 7D. I have a Panasonic GH1, which 
so far is kind of my favorite, believe it or not. Uh, $1,500 camera. Mm-hmm. I have purchased the D90, the 300S, okay. and in my opinion, uh, you know, the, the GH1 is sort of the winner at this point, but I just had a few hours with the 7D, and it may end up taking top-notch spot. I'm going to purchase all these cameras and use them, and I'm going to use them, wait for it, as a video camera. Mm-hmm. My still camera of choice, the mighty Nikon D3. I own five D3 bodies. I will continue to use those D3 bodies unless the D3S comes out or the D3-2 or the mm-hmm. D4, or whatever they're going to call it, maybe in October. I'm going to continue to use the D3s as my still camera. But cameras like the 7D, the Panasonic GH1, I'm using them as video cameras. And uh, I'm getting pretty heavily into that. In fact, when I was in Maui, I shot 90% of the things I did was in video. Interesting. I only uh, shot stills about 10% and, of the time. And what are you doing with that video once you shoot Well, I've put a couple things up on the web. And, you know, mostly what I'm doing is hiding it from people because I'm still learning how to be a video, <laughs> uh, you know, videographer. And uh, 37 and a half years as a still photographer does not mean you will be good at, at motion. Yeah. So it's another dimension. Actually, two other dimensions. <laughs> yeah. you got motion and sound that you have to deal with now. So, like, I've, I, wrote, I wrote about this just earlier in the year. You know, I'm always trying to learn. It doesn't matter how far up the totem pole you are. There's still things to learn. And, uh, you know, I'm starting over like a kid with this video stuff. I'm learning how to do video well, and there's a lot to it. And I'll teach that once I've figured it out. And, you know, I do think there's some very interesting hybrid stuff that you can do with stills and video. And I'll be doing my annual trek to Bosque del Apache in November, like I do every year to photograph birds and lead workshops with Arthur Morris and on my own. And what I'm going to try doing, and, and, and all this is culminating around this, this idea, is that I'm going to shoot Bosque del Apache with a multimedia approach so that I can make a presentation, not a slideshow like I usually do of all my stills, but motion and stills mixed together and shot you know, congruently. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, so what's next for Scott Bourne? Well, just, you know, like I said, I'll be at Bolsky del Apache. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm teaching a little bit more often than I thought I would be. Um, I'm speaking a lot for some reason. I thought I was saying no a lot, but I'm I'm going to be speaking mm-hmm. uh, at PartnerCon, as you are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Looking forward to that You're in New Orleans. doing some sort of photo walk out there, Doing too? a photo walk on Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. And Can I come on that? You, you may. <laughs> uh, doing a big tweet up there and yeah. hanging out with the folks there. And I'll be speaking at PPA for the first time in a long oh, time in Nashville. Cool. All right. Are you uh, heading out to Photo Plus? I am not going to be at Photo Plus okay. this year. i got a conflict. But, uh, gotcha. And then I'll be doing um, eight straight weeks of bird photography workshops in Florida during the winter. Mm. Just so happens that that's a place that's 75 and sunny during the winter, so I thought I'd spend my time there. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And then, uh, you know, back I'll be speaking again at Skip Summer School in August and back here in Vegas. Yeah. I've already been invited back to Maui for next year's Maui Photo Festival. Beautiful. Gary Hamburg and I are leading workshops in the Palouse, and you're welcome to stop by. Excellent. If you've never been to the Palouse, never. it is a highly under-photographed area. We're doing some workshops in the spring and the summer, and it's where at least patterns from all the, the hay and the wheat and all the stuff that the farmers grow, and we're going to be up on combines. It's going to be crazy. So I've got a lot of workshops, a lot of conferences involved, and, and hopefully I'm going to relax sometime. <laughs> you got a lot of energy, Scott. For an old man, I'm kind of active, aren't hey, I? Uh, yeah, you're wearing the wheels off, that, the tennis balls off that, that walker. Yeah, i gotta get, I got to get a new walker. I'm trying, to get a, I'm trying to get one with, like, jet drive. There you go. There you go. Get your little rascal. Zoom around. Yeah. 
Well, Scott, thanks for for doing this impromptu interview. Happy it's to been, do it. Love to be on Twit. Yeah, hi, we got all the people. Are you you going to come back on as a co-host and and chat with the people soon? A- anytime you ask me. All right, cool. I told you anytime you want. All right, you're coming back on. That was Scott Bourne, the illustrious Scott Bourne of photofocus.com, twitter.com forward slash Scott Bourne, and everywhere else on the web. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Fred. Thanks, Scott. Again, that was our friend, Mr. Scott Bourne. You can find him over at photofocus.com or follow him if you're not already following him on Twitter at uh, username Scott Bourne. And now we are going to bring the show to a close unfortunately it's come to that time but before we do that we're going to quickly go through our picks of the week and nicole what is your pick of the week well i'm gonna guess that you've probably had this pick before but i've recently been using my lens baby a whole lot i have a lens baby composer and I absolutely love it. It's just fun, special effects kind of thing. But I've been trying to basically get better at focusing. So I've been photographing almost every single day with my lens baby. Yeah. And uh, that's my pick. It's a really great, awesome lens. They even have a forum on their lens baby site. It's lensbaby.com. Now, Nicole, I know that Lens Baby Composer comes with a bunch of accessories, or you can buy a bunch of accessories with it, different aperture uh, uh inserts to to get different effects are you using that stuff or are you just doing straight lens baby and playing with it that way no i have a wide angle adapter i have the macro adapters the wide angle is fairly new as well uh, as as well as the macros but um they really add a lot to it you know with the macro you can get in like like an inch or two away really 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 close uh the wide's a little different and depending on whether you have a full frame or a crop sensor lens you're going to get some vignetting, uh, depending on which way you angle, you know, the actual part of the lens. It's, if you're familiar with a lens, maybe you probably know what I'm talking about. If not, yeah. that lens, the belt, it's, it, it actually moves back and forth. If you can see me on video, I'm actually moving the lens, but, um, yeah, it really adds to it, you know, and, and, uh, all the apertures, the creative aperture set, you can create different shaped bokeh. There's just like endless opportunities really with it. And and one last question about that. Are you are you uploading any of the images that you create with the Lens Baby to iStock Photo? I, I have and I will be in the future because I've been using it a lot more. Another thing that I'm I've a kind of starting to do video con- contributing on iStock Photo and having a lot of fun with the Lens Baby and the 7D now that I have HD video capability. Ooh. So I know that people do. There's a, a few contributors, uh, one a photographer here in Utah, his name's AJ, and he does a lot of Lens Baby photography for iStock. Uh, yeah, so it's very possible, you know, to have photos approved and uploaded. It creates a different effect. It's unique. Um, a little bit more artsy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And Mr. Steve Simon, what is your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week are these little radio popper um, uh, radio flash triggers. Um, I'm a Nikon Speedlight user, and uh, I loved I love the wireless capability, as I know you do, Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, it really works. But the frustration, of course, is because they're infrared and line of sight. Um, you have to uh, be in a position where the signal from your camera trigger, be it the uh, you know the commander built into the camera or uh, the flash itself or if you use one of the uh, SU-800 units, um, it has to be able to see the other flash or else it won't fire. And it can be very, in practical terms, it can be very frustrating when you're at, um, depending on what the assignment is. Um, with these radio poppers, they allow you to use your TTL 
um, uh, speed light um, function um, oh. and 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 combines it with uh, you know radio so you could be um, you know anywhere and it's going to fire so it eliminates the frustration and I asked um, you know these aren't mine I, I borrowed them from radio poppers to try them out and they really work and um, uh, I think I think they're going to become I think I'm, I'm going to purchase some because um, it, it really works the other um, competition I guess um, is pocket wizard but they are still unavailable in um, for Nikon. They have them with Canon, mm-hmm. and um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But these ones um, seem to work really well when I use them. Hey, Nicole, the the seven D has built-in control for flash remote flash, right? Mm-hmm. Have you played yes, with that does. at all? Have you? No, I haven't yet. But I I'm very I, probably this week I'll get to it. Um, been reading my manual, <laughs> and it can <laughs> yeah. So cool. I'm really excited I, yeah, to try I'm, it. Out. I'm very curious about that. It just seems like an obvious thing that I can't believe nobody's done until now, and uh, it'd be interesting to hear how well that works because it sure makes a lot of sense to just yeah. have that built in. Yes, absolutely. Now, Steve, on the on those radio poppers versus the pocket wizard, um, what's the what's the price differential? Is it does it make sense to buy one or the other? If uh, assuming they were both available for your platform. Yeah, that's that's a very good question, and I, I I don't have the specifics, but I know it's available online. I, I think they're comparable, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, actually, I don't really know, so I won't comment. But people can can find out, and I'll I'll look into it as soon as, uh, and then we can cut this out, and I'll give you my real answer, uh, <laughs> or just uh, blog it on Twiplog and be done exactly. with it. Cool. Exactly. And uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman, what's your pick? Just a quick one. Um, handy little thing i always carry around in my camera black bag it's the uh uh giotto rocket blower it's just a little tiny um uh, it's not compressed air it's just a little squeeze bulb basically that has a nice small opening at the at the end so you can get a concentrated blast of air it's just you know very lightweight squishes into the corner of a camera bag uh you know they're like 10 bucks off of amazon uh and just a really Good handy thing to have around for that quick dust off of your of your camera gear, your lenses, and everything. Very cool. And my pick of the week is um, an iPhone application, just because I've been enamored <laughs> with this iPhone application for the last two weeks. It's called Tilt Shift Generator. So search in iTunes for Tilt Shift Generator, and it uh, it's amazing. Nicole, I don't know if you've played with it at all or seen it, but it, uh, it, it feels sort of like a little lens baby post-processing application that you can apply these tilt shift effects or selective depth of field on a plane to photos after the fact. And it, uh, it's, it's really amazing. It's fast, and it loads really quickly, and it produces some pretty amazing results. So that would uh, that'd be my pick of the week. So that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, quickly, guys, where can Steve? Where can people find you if they're looking for Mr. Steve Simon? Um, they can find me on uh, Twitter slash Steve Simon, and um, I've got a uh, a seminar I'm doing at Photo Plus Expo. So I'm hoping that uh, people that are coming to Photo Plus Expo in New York City, October 24th, um, one fifteen to three fifteen, will sign up for my. Um, session, which is uh, 10 Steps to Becoming a Great Photographer. I've got three of them, as I've mentioned before. I'm going to have the other seven by the time the uh, session rolls around, so I'm just working on them. Very cool. And Nicole Young, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's Nicole Z, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. And right now, I am two followers shy 
of 3000. Oh, so as a recording, oh. uh, yeah. And I'll I'm follow also, you again, Nicole. <laughs> uh, I'm also on uh, photofocus.com. I do blogs and videos for photofocus. Are you giving anything special to your, to your 3000, 3000 follower? No, Nothing I'll say spe- thanks. Come on. You got to give something <laughs> away. Come on. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Tell you what, we'll give we'll give a peach pit book of Nicole's Ooh. choice to her to her uh, her milestone follower. How's that? All right, wow. let's see if we can announce it right now. Oh, hey, it happened. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. And uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman, where can where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitters, Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N, and I'm I am only uh, about ninety six thousand followers shy of a hundred thousand. So if everybody gets on right now, I'm sure I'll get there, and yeah. then I, I'll car. give away a book. Yeah, there you go. You will give away a book. Yeah, your book is your your book's uh, in its second printing now. Your second edition, second right? Edition's out. Yes, very cool. What's the name of that book? The Art and Science of Digital Compositing. Compositing. And the companion As blog is? Composting. Com- digital composting. Digital composting, yes. Very cool. There's a distinction. And if you're looking for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van or on my blog, frederickvan.com. And with that, that brings this episode of This Week in Photography to a close. It is time to take that lens cap off. 